pleasure of introducing not one, but two guests. I have with me today Kate McFall. She's with the Humane Society of the United States. And I also have Ralph DeMeo. Ralph is an attorney with the law firm of Baker Donaldson in Tallahassee, Florida. Welcome, Kate, and welcome, Ralph. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here with you. You both are so welcome, and I'm excited to have you here today. Um, The thing that we're going to talk about today, and this is um, a very current issue um, for people all over the state of Florida to be aware of, is um, what is known as Amendment 13. And Amendment 13 is the amendment that will be on the ballot in November and is designed to first phase out but ultimately ban greyhound racing in the state of Florida. So, Kate, um, start us off and give us some background on Amendment 13. Sure, sure, absolutely. This is very timely, and we are very excited for, as we say, Amendment Lucky 13 that will be, uh, we're encouraging folks to vote yes for the dogs. But this has been a very long time coming. The humane community has been working to phase out or to provide protections for greyhounds for over a decade in the legislature. So the Humane Society of the United States, in partnership with Great UK USA, we have literally been working on this over a decade to pass Greyhound decoupling, which would take away that legal requirement because right now the tracks, in order to operate their profitable poker room, they must have live racing. They must by law. Even if no one's watching, it's raining outside, they must have a certain number of performances per year. So we've been trying to decouple that unsuccessfully. So here we are, the Constitution Revision Commission, which, as you know, meets every 20 years, brought this proposal forward. Our sponsor, Senator Tom Lee, who has well-versed on this because he's been in the legislature and hearing this issue come up year after year after year and get no relief for these poor dogs. Many individuals in the main community have been talking about this, as I said, for forever and ever. So this was well-received passed the CRC, thankfully, and is on the ballot this November. And Amendment 13 would phase it out. It's really a a nice length of a phase out. And that was an important uh, tactic here and part of this, um, the rationale and and the work on this, and that right when this passes in November, by December, the tracks can decouple should they wish to. So the tracks that are the least profitable, that don't want to have the dog racing, which is most of them, may decouple right away in December. However, it won't become legal for two years, 24 months. So some tracks will take it till the end, like Palm Beach and some of the others in South Florida. So it's got a nice phase out, which will be a scattered you know, timeline in terms of, of phasing out the dog racing. And that is why we say phase out, because it truly is a phase out. So here's our incredible, incredible opportunity to phase out this cruel and inhumane injury um, industry. And the, I mean, we know that it's inhumane. We know that dogs are dying and they're becoming injured. And it's not about an individual trainer. It's really just about the industry that's cutting corners and losing money. There is no money and no resources to care for these dogs properly the way that you and I care for our animals or the way that they should be cared for. So this is a dying industry and has been. Florida has 11 out of the 17 tracks in the entire country. So we have the bulk of the industry right here. There's only six states that have have this, have dog racing. And it's illegal in 40 other states. 
so we're really hanging on to a uh, something that is way outdated. And another little tidbit is we were the first state to legalize it in 1931. So that's not something we're really proud of, of course. And we're really feel positive about this passing in November and phasing out this, this cruelty for dogs because we, people love dogs, especially Floridians. Well, and some of the statistics, Kate, um, that people probably should know about is that mm-hmm. uh, greyhounds endure basically a life of confinement. They're in their crates somewhere between 20 and 23 hours every day. And mm-hmm. um, I know that it's estimated that a dog, one dog dies at least every three days at a dog track in Florida. That's right. Those are from, that's right, on average, uh, those are from state records. And those are dogs that die on site, on the track property, either on the track or they're euthanized. That doesn't mean if they take them to a vet across town or across the street to be euthanized after being injured, those we don't know about. But these are just dogs that die on the track. So on average, according to state records, a dog dies every three days. Now, we we know dogs are also being injured. However, we don't have numbers on that because we worked very hard to pass a bill for injury reporting, but surprisingly, not really, the industry fought us on that. They don't want people to know, but we know dogs are being injured. For example, in one county, in Seminole County, in 2016, we passed an ordinance that would require injury reporting. And there's only one track there. And in just one year, there were 74 injuries and uh, 55 dogs that suffered broken bones and, and a handful of deaths in just one county that had this ordinance. So we know statewide dogs are being injured, but again, we don't know. We don't have numbers on that. And as you said, they are confined 20 to 23 hours every day, and they sleep on carpet remnants or shredded paper, and it's, it's no life for a dog. And they're muzzled most of the time. Some take their muzzles off when they're in, in their cages. Many do not. So they're muzzled most of, most of their, their lives uh, at the tracks. Well, and I, I bet another thing that people don't know, Kate, about greyhounds is that um, the use of drugs in um, dogs is um, very prevalent within the greyhound racing industry as well. Yes, it, it truly is. We know that that uh, there were, well, this one dog that comes to mind, Flicka, uh, from the Jacksonville track, this was a few years ago, she tested positive seven times. Co- traces of cocaine were, were found seven times, and she is, uh, no one knows where she is now. There have been so many cases of drug positives. In fact, the injury floated a bill. Um, the industry floated a bill last year to allow trace amounts, trace amounts of, of cocaine, and it didn't obviously get get legs. But it's that's just part of the industry, and it's it's horrifying. There's so many other drugs that are that are found, uh, Novocaine and and others. But it's for human and, and for horse racing, by the way, it's, it's illegal for human athletes and for horse athletes. To have to to have that use of drugs, yet it's you know it's okay uh, you know in the dogs. But the other big big piece here is the anabolic steroids. That female steroids are given uh, female greyhounds. I'm sorry, are given anabolic steroids or testosterone. It's testosterone and synthetic forms of testosterone, but essentially it's just that are given to the female dogs every two weeks. So this is to prevent them from going into heat because you can imagine if a female dog is in heat in the kennel, that would be chaos and it would cost them that dog race days. So they'd have to, you know, she couldn't race. So that would just, that's just money. So they give them anabolic steroids to prevent them from going into heat. 
which is, of course, harmful to their health, and it's cheating. So that's, that's, that's a standard practice right now that, that's common. And in other states, and certainly in other countries, they just can separate the dogs that go into heat, keep them away, and not use this, this drug that is so harmful to their health, and they see long-term health risks and problems once they finish their racing career. It's, it's just unnecessary, and it's heartbreaking. So for animal lovers that might be listening to this show, I, I mean, to us, it probably makes perfect sense. You know, we, we don't want to keep our dogs in a crate 23 hours a day. We don't want to keep them muzzled in a crate. We certainly don't want to give them drugs. We certainly don't want to expose them to injury, illness, or um, death. And, and yet, you would think this would be a simple process, but it wasn't. So, Ralph, can you please... Um, Bring us up to speed on all of the legal maneuvering that had to take place in order for Amendment to 13 to even make it to the ballot. I will do that. And um, Kate and her organization, the Humane Society of the United States, along with Gray2K and others, uh, have been very instrumental in getting us to this point in terms of the very heavy lifting that went on in the legislature, as she pointed out, but more recently with the Constitution Revision Commission, and to say it went literally to the 11th hour is literally the truth in terms of getting the thing on the amendment. But uh, shortly after it was recommended by the CRC, the um, uh, Florida Greyhound uh, Association uh, basically came out and indicated that they were going to appeal Uh, They were going to bring a lawsuit, and then they brought a lawsuit in the circuit court in Leon County, where Tallahassee is located, challenging the ballot item. And basically, their arguments were that the ballot title and the summary of the amendment to the Constitution, which became known as Amendment 13, were defective. They uh, filed the the, uh, court heard that. Uh, my law firm appeared on behalf of the Florida Bar Animal Law Section, which I think most people know Peggy is the current chair of, and the Animal Legal Defense Fund. Kate's organization uh, also participated as what's called an amicus curiae or friend of the court. We weren't actual parties. We were allowed by the circuit judge to file an amicus brief. And, of course, we took the same side as the Department of State and the Secretary of State, who were the defendants in the case, because they're charged with the ballot amendments going on the ballot. Um, We were able to make oral argument. We were given a few minutes at the circuit court level, as was Kate's organization. And um, I think it's the Committee to Protect Dogs, Kate, is that what you call it? Mm -hmm. uh, Yes. Anyway, unfortunately... On August 1st of this year, the Leon County Circuit Judge struck the ballot amendment holding that it failed to pass muster under well-settled constitutional law. Uh, You know, what was, as an aside, very disturbing is that the um, president of the Greyhound Association, the Racing Association, uh, was also a party challenging the law. And essentially, they argued that greyhound racing is good for Florida and good for the greyhounds, that the industry generates revenue and provides thousands of jobs while the greyhounds are well-trained and well-treated. 
And the bottom line is nothing could be further from the truth. So we, you know, uh, argued uh, in the circuit court unsuccessfully, uh, but we immediately appealed it along, you know, the uh, Secretary of State uh, was represented by the Solicitor General's office who handles major litigation brought against the state of Florida and its agencies. They did an excellent job. we had oral argument before the Florida Supreme Court, the Committee to Protect Dogs, the Florida Bar Animal Law Section, and the Animal Legal Defense Fund were again permitted to file amicus briefs. And uh, we were thrilled that on September 7th, the Supreme Court issued a per curiam opinion, meaning no specific judge or panel of judges, but the entire panel, and only one judge dissented on technical legal grounds. They overturned the ruling of the Leon County Circuit Court and upheld the amendment. Um, I can go into the details of the legal arguments uh, if you would like. So we'll we'll talk about the uh, the details of the legal arguments in a moment, Ralph, and, and thank you for that background. I think... Um, one thing that people probably don't realize because I didn't realize it until I got um, well informed on this subject, but exactly how the Constitutional Revision Commission works and and why it exists in the first place. So um, just briefly, Ralph, give us kind of a, a, a primer on why we need the Constitutional Revision Commission in the first place. Well, uh, I think this is a classic example of why we need it. Uh, Kate pointed out for 10 years, uh, the industry, uh, Greyhound racing industry and their friends in uh, the um, gaming industry uh, have successfully beaten back the efforts to decouple Greyhound racing. It really comes down to the politics of gaming in Florida. There's no sound, humane, or financial reason to support Greyhound Racing. And uh, at the end of the day, when, you know, 10 years you fail because of politics largely unrelated with the welfare of the animals, we have in our Florida Constitution a somewhat unique uh, opportunity. Every 20 years, Florida convenes a Constitution Revision Commission, and and it's an appointed body. the governor appoints members, the Supreme Court, and others, and they meet to decide if there are matters of great public importance that ought to be placed on the ballot for citizen approval. And uh, again, we were very fortunate through intensive lobbying efforts to have the amendment recommended by the CRC uh, and placed on the ballot until, as I mentioned earlier, it was challenged. But it's a wonderful opportunity to kind of bypass, if you will, the politics of the Florida legislature. It puts it squarely, assuming you may pass muster, which we did on the requirements to be on the ballot, it puts it squarely before the voters of the state of Florida, and that's really, really where it should be decided. So thank you mm-hmm. for that, Ralph. Um, because I think that um, it's important for all of us to take note that if the if, 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 and I'm only saying this as the, it, I don't even think it's possible, but if this were not to pass um, in November through all of the efforts of everybody, it 
would be another 20 years before we would have another opportunity through the CRC. So that makes it so, so, so important um, for people who love dogs and love animals in general to uh, all get together on this issue. Absolutely. Um, so, Kate, I know that a lot is mm -hmm. happening out there um, from a grassroots standpoint. Tell us yes. a little bit about um, who the Committee to Protect Dogs is and how people sure. can get involved. Sure, yes. I've got a couple of thoughts on, on those great uh, comments that, that Ralph made and, and shed some great light on this. The Committee to Protect Dogs, we are the committee, and it's a partnership between the Humane Society of the United States and Gray 2K USA for the campaign Protect Dogs, Yes on 13. That's really what our message is, that this is about protecting dogs. And we know from our polling that people love dogs. People want to protect them. They don't want harm to come to animals, certainly not dogs, man and women's best friends. So we know that the public is with us if, that's the big one, if they know. If they know this is there, they know this is not about gaming, it's about a humane measure to protect dogs. Our, our polling tells us that our numbers are remarkably high. But the challenge is, is reaching everybody, and we're working extremely hard. The humane community in general is working uh, feverishly on this. Uh, on our website, protectdogs.org, protect our list of endorsements is extensive from humane groups, shelters, lawmakers. And that's the other, that's the other piece of this. We know this from, well, from our, our years of experience and also even to the CRC, and that this is a bipartisan issue. Animal welfare is truly bipartisan in general, but most definitely this issue specifically is about is not about partisanship. And we've seen that with our endorsements, a lot of Republicans, a lot of Democrats, and we're so grateful for that because this is this is just a it's obvious why this is a, a bipartisan issue, and that that helps us. And this kind of clears through the other junk that that clouds um, other issues, important issues nonetheless. But just this one is 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 special in that way. And we're, we're so grateful to have um, support from both sides of the aisle and so many humane groups uh, across the country, but most certainly here in, in Florida. But our grassroots campaign is extensive. We have shelters and advocates from Pensacola to Key West that are working on this constantly, every, every opportunity to reach the voters and do flyering. And we're really excited, our TV commercial, in the next, uh, we'll be coming out in the next couple of weeks. So be on the lookout for that. Where we filmed it just recently, and it's it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. And we just know that once people, once the the regular Florida citizen, voting citizen, who, who we know that people care about dogs and don't want harm to come to them, once they realize that dogs are confined, twenty to twenty three hours a day, they're injured. And they're dying on the tracks. And this industry is a lost leader for the state. It costs the state more money to regulate it than it brings in in revenue. And since, since 1990, gambling on Florida tracks has dropped by 74% and tax revenue has dropped by 98%. I mean, from the financial perspective, it's definitely uh, declining significantly. So all of those reasons, we, we have this, as I mentioned, bipartisan support. Just a few groups I want to mention. Um, the Florida Federation of Republican Women, Florida Federation of Animal Welfare Organizations, the Progressive Caucus. We've got just all, I mean, it, the list is extensive, and we're, we're very proud of that. And City of Tallahassee most recently joined 
and and signed on as an endorser and and again many many others so we're very very grateful but our website uh, protectdogs.org I, I hope that people will go opt in because from as you guys know uh, legally people have to opt in to receive an email and update about this and so we encourage animal advocates to opt in to receive you know updates um, going forward here until till the election and we're encouraging folks to do that and also see how they can get involved how they can help because our our grassroots work is is um, extensive, and in addition to Carla, who's leading that charge, and with volunteers, um, I'm also doing as many speaking engagements as I can to reach out to people. Again, once people know this is about protecting dogs, it's really a no-brainer. But it's just making that connection that uh, that we're that we're working really hard on, and the feedback is fantastic, truly fantastic. Well, I'm just so encouraged by everything that you say about this grassroots movement. Um, I There may be some people out there with a question mark still in their mind. Um, who um, is the Great 2K organization for folks that might not be familiar with them, Kate? They are a wonderful organization that works on greyhound protection measures, statutes and ordinances, and uh, promotes greyhound adoption and actually phasing out uh, greyhound racing. They're all over the world, actually, but they started in Massachusetts, which used to be the number one dog racing state. And of course, it's no longer, uh, no longer has dog racing. And so now Florida is the number one state with, as I mentioned before, 11 out of the 17 tracks nationwide. Um, okay, so they've been around a while and they've been working they on have. this cause for a long time and they're trying to knock out dog racing state by state by state, apparently. And, um, and, and, act, and right- you know, pr- protections. Yes, exactly. So, um, as we know, anytime there is a political issue at all, you're going to see a lot of advertisements. And um, unfortunately, as human beings in the United States, we tend to just catch sound bites of things. So, one of the sound bites that I came across recently was one that said that there are um, greyhound rescue organizations that actually support um, greyhound racing. And can you speak to that so that um, if people sure. hear this, that they know that that's um, not the truth, really? Right. Absolutely. Sure. And there's one other scare tactic I would like to mention after. But these greyhound adoption groups that are associated with the track, that is part of their contract. In order to get dogs and pull them off the, the track, save them, you know, give them lots of love and get them adopted, that is part of the deal. They can't speak out against the industry. That was something the NGA, the National Greyhound Association, put in place many, many, many years ago. So that's a, non, that's a non-starter. In order to get the dogs and save them, they cannot speak out. Should they speak out against the industry, that's it. They won't get the dogs anymore. So that, that's pretty clear, but I, I realize that people don't know that. And many of many of the groups are on our side, of course. And the humane community is absolutely that is not embedded in the industry is hands down on their side. And many of the the groups that have um, publicly come out in, in opposing are from other states, um, and a few actually out of the country. So it's not as much Florida based. Like our coalition and our endorsements are are from Florida, of course. So that's may I, may I that's comment on that? There. May I comment on that, Peggy, before Kate points out the Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I, absolutely. I find it extremely outrageous 
and it's really important for your listeners and for the voters to understand, if you scratch not too deeply below the surface with some of these people that are forced in order to save the dogs to make a deal with the devil at the tracks, they will tell you that they completely support Amendment 13. They're just contractually obligated not to. I think they would all say, we'd be delighted if our services are no longer needed because there's no more abuses going on on the tracks. And, and it really is disturbing and it shows you the, I'll use the term evil of this industry, that they would resort to that kind of tactic, which is a form of misinformation in my opinion. Uh, but, it, but again, it was a deal they had to make with the devil in order for them to rescue these dogs, which would otherwise be you know, dying on the tracks and in their cages. So it really is despicable, and I think that it's important for people to understand that, that if, if they see any Greyhound Rescue Organization saying they do not support Amendment 13, that that's not really based in reality. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ralph. I, I appreciate that. And so, um, Kate, go on and tell us about some of the other fear tactics that are out there. Sure, sure. And just, just to uh, lay a little bit more groundwork here, we know that once this industry falls in Florida, which it will, that because we have the bulk of it here, it's it's a big chunk out of their out of their business, and that the other states will will soon fall thereafter, which would be a victory for humankind, for animals, uh, for animal certainly for for the animal welfare uh, movement. Um, this this is a big one. This Florida is a big one, and that's why I say to people, and it sounds a little corny, but we are making history right now. It gives me goosebumps. This is a significant moment that that will go down in in history and history books for animal welfare right now here in Florida. And that's why this opportunity is unreal. It's so exciting that we've gotten on the ballot through the CRC. So many opportunities to fail, a million and all the legal challenges that Ralph talked about. Yet here we are, here we are right here on the ballot because good will prevail and people love animals and they certainly love dogs. So we are, this is, really an opportunity that we absolutely must take advantage of and, and reach every animal person that you know, every person you know, essentially, because they will, once they realize it, surely they, they will have the common sense vote and vote yes on 13. But the other, the other scare tactic that we're hearing that people have uh, brought to our attention that we hear as well is, well, if this passes, all the dogs will be euthanized, which is preposterous. First of all, they're about Six to 7,000 dogs in, in the 11 tracks here in Florida. In this amount of time, in this 26-month phase-out, that same number of dogs will have to be replaced, will, will need homes, will go up for adoption, and be replaced with, with other dogs because the racing career is just under two years. The average racing career for a greyhound is just under two years. There's not an exact number because it's when they start stop making money. I mean, it's just, just about money. When they're not winning and making money, then they're, they're retired and, and moved on or gone to a breeding farm or, or something else. But that is the, the cycle of their racing careers anyway. So if Amendment 13 passes or if Amendment 13 fails, the same number of dogs will be looking for homes either way. So to say that this will cause all these dogs to be killed, there's not enough homes, is, is a scare tactic by the industry because they're scared. They're scared that this is going to pass. And it is it is going to pass, and it is very exciting. But we know that these dogs, the adoption groups from all over the country are ready and watching and waiting, and they are going to, to be there. When this has passed in other states, 
The only other state where it passed by ballot is Massachusetts. But when dog racing has phased out in other states, the adoption groups from all over the country come forward. And we've, we're hearing from them all. Now, the industry, they own the dogs. It's up to them. But we know the adoption groups have started to mobilize and started to, to work towards this effort and are ready. And that's the reality here, that this, this is an opportunity for thousands of dogs to find loving homes, to get them out of the cages, into loving homes, onto people's couches. That's what this is about. So not to, to your listeners, the scare tactics are just that, scare tactics. Can I mention well, another I one that I've heard, too? Sure, Ralph. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I know Kate's heard this one, too, and I've seen these arguments be made that hundreds or thousands of people who work in the greyhound industry will lose their jobs. They're, you know, and my, my answer to that is, well, get a job that doesn't involve the deliberate uh, torture and, and death of animals, you know, but uh, mm -hmm. they, they actually are saying that. Right. And it's, it's significantly fewer than they're saying. And that's why there's, there's a long phase out. We push for a longer phase out. Um, and many, many of the advocates supporting this thought that was uh, mindful of that, keeping that in mind. So there's a, a good long phase out. It's significantly fewer than uh, fewer jobs than they think. But, that, but that's, a, that's a real thing. And, and again, that's why we put the phase out in. So. Okay, so we want folks to be aware of the fear tactics. We want folks to be aware that um, we need to vote yes on Amendment 13, and we want to spread the good word. Let's talk for a second, um, Kate and Ralph, about what good pets greyhounds actually make. Uh -huh. As um, And you mentioned um, onto people's couches because I know that although <laughs> they are sight hounds and they're known for racing, they're also big, fat couch potatoes. Oh, yes. They, they are absolutely the biggest couch potatoes ever. I sometimes tell people... And if people aren't cat lovers, they may not like this analogy, but I love it. Uh, they're like giant cats because they're so incredibly clean and they're so lazy and they lounge around. They're just much larger, but they are incredible pets. I fostered so many greyhounds, I don't even know how many, from the track in Jefferson County before it closed that I would just pull straight from the kennels uh, years ago and find them good homes. Some were, were great with, with cats, uh, which I have. Some were not. They're like any other dog. And that's part of our messaging is that they're not separate. They're like the dogs in your house and my house and, and that we, we love and, and are members of our families. They are amazing, amazing pets. They need to right off the track. Of course, they need to learn how to live in a home and be with people because they're just not with people like they love them, but in a home setting with, you know, moving around, the, the sink turns on, the television, things like that are new for them because they've been in a kennel at the track. But they adapt so beautifully and they're so loving and so gentle and wonderful with children and are just lots and lots of fun. Well, and they have such soulful eyes too. Yes. Yes. And they're lazy. A, they really are cash potatoes. I understand that they're lazy and that just cracks me up. Um, I know they, they still need exercise. I, I'm not, I don't mean to say that they don't need exercise, but I know that once they get that big burst of uh, energy out, that they are ready to take a nap or to cuddle and, um, mm -hmm. and that they are really good family pets, but um, keeping in mind that, you know, they may not have ever lived in a family, and so it may take them some adjustment time um, to get used to being in their new environment. Right, exactly. And they are really, they, they do like, you know, healthy walks, just like any other dog, but then they're really just want to be with, with you, with their, with their person. And 
the greyhounds that I brought in did beautifully with, with my dogs who were the other, my other dogs were non greyhounds, but my, my oldest dog would teach them things. And I know she would kind of roll her eyes when I bring in a greyhound because it was, you know, she's like, well, this one doesn't really know how to play yet. But by the time they left, they were playing and just having a ball and they are really um, gentle giants, as we like to say. Yes, that that's very nice thing to say. What's your experience with greyhounds, Ralph? Well, I've worked on the legal side primarily, but I've certainly spent a lot of time around them. I remember once I had lunch with Kate and she brought a rescue greyhound from Jefferson County with her. I don't think it has long been off the track. And I was so impressed that it just sat there with its head on her lap during lunch the whole time, very quietly, which I can tell you my Yorkshire Terrier would not do. And so uh, they really are just, just very sweet animals. They don't deserve this kind of life, the way they're housed. And, and, and it's just despicable that we institutionalize this kind of, of mistreatment of a beautiful, sensitive animal. And I, uh, somebody agrees, I see. I hear that. So you've you've got consensus at your doggy household on uh, amendment Sorry, thirteen. Um, no, that's awesome. Mine are mine are being couch potatoes at the moment, just uh, sleeping instead of uh, chiming in. Um, what else would you want to say, Kate, about I, the um, the greyhound effort? Well, just I know that your listeners want to help people who care about animals want to help. And it's, as I mentioned, go to protectdogs.org. And also, you know, Facebook, it's uh, vote yes on 13, Twitter, Instagram, vote yes on 13. And if somebody, they can reach us through the, through the website, through any of these uh, means. But if they want to write a letter to the editor, we, we can help. I, they can certainly write one on their own, but if they wanted to run it, you know, run a couple things by us or fact check or whatever, we can be helpful in that way. If they want to help leafleting and, and outreach, uh, grassroots work in their community, we would love to have their help. And even just to, you know, put the, the banner on their Facebook page or on their, on their picture on their Facebook page, there's a, a number of ways they can help. And, and we would welcome that. So my, my, my parting or my closing kind of ask of folks, we're not concerned that the, you know, the industry, because we know that most people really care about dogs and we have the better argument, the winning argument, is the humane argument, but it's just letting voters know about this. So help us tell your friends and neighbors and that this is about protecting dogs. And it's all the way down uh, at the end at Lucky 13. And we, we, the momentum and the support has really been overwhelming and fantastic. So we, we feel very positive about, about this and also be on the lookout for our commercials or TV ads uh, that will be coming up very soon. And also go to my um, Facebook page or go to All My Children Wear Fur Coats on Facebook or Kids in Fur Coats on Twitter. Um, Join the animal law section and um, help us to continue to do good work and to partner with people like um, Kate and Ralph on the good news uh, that we're trying to make a difference for animals in the state of Florida. So, Ralph... um, your last words on the Greyhound issue, and then let's talk about other possible legislation that might be coming up um, in 2019. Sure. I mean, I agree with everything Kate said. Um, can I talk briefly about the Supreme Court order? Because it is hugely important, not just to this issue, but to all animal welfare issues in Florida. Absolutely. Uh, one of the One of the issues 
one of the arguments that was made by the industry, and you'll hear a lot of people say, and including at the CRC level, and this issue almost brought down the amendment, is that the Florida Constitution is an inappropriate place for these types of relatively insignificant matters. They always cite the prohibition against the confinement of pigs during pregnancy, which made it into the Constitution as an example of that, sort of the poster child for why these things shouldn't be in the Constitution. And that argument, you know, particularly among lawyers, often has legs because, you know, the Constitution is for, you know, important issues. Well, uh, we took that head on in our arguments and said, yes, we agree. The Constitution is the place for important matters, matters of great public importance, which is why the Supreme Court took the direct appeal from the Circuit Court and bypassed the District Court of Appeal. Florida has a long history of supporting animal welfare. I don't know that most people realize that. Yes, we all see every day horrific, horrific examples of animal cruelty and abuse and neglect. But the fact of the matter is Florida for decades has had hundreds of laws on the books in the form of statewide laws and the statutes, but also hundreds, if not thousands of local ordinances that actually protect animal welfare. And one of the arguments that the opponents to Amendment 13 made in the circuit court successfully, but unsuccessfully with the Florida Supreme Court was that somehow uh, a fundamental value supporting animal welfare was being established by this law and that somehow the voters would be misled by the ballot title and summary that that was the case. Well, one of my favorite moments in the Supreme Court uh, was that uh, Justice Perrienti at one point said that, well, surely there's nobody who would argue that we are against animal abuse, correct? She directed that question to the former Chief Justice of the Florida Supreme Court, Major Harding, who led the way in the arguments for the, uh, uh, anim for the breeders in the racing industry. And he frankly didn't really have a good answer for that. And Justice Harding is a very well-respected <clears throat> former jurist and lawyer but the fact of the matter is the Florida Supreme Court would, would have nothing to do with any of their arguments. And in their final opinion, which I urge everyone to read, uh, they really laid out very nicely the fact that uh, all you really have to show to put an amendment on the Constitution is that voters will not be misled by the ballot title or summary that they're given fair notice of what they're voting on. And what they're voting on is a ban on commercial dog racing associated with gambling. And the Supreme Court ultimately upheld that. So we were, we were very thrilled about that. We think this is a perfect issue to present to the voters. And as Kate said, every you know, reliable poll that we have seen suggests that we will poll, we, we will get more than the 60% of the people who vote uh, approval of Amendment 13, and that would phase out and ultimately end greyhound racing in the state of Florida. The dogs will be protected. The people, uh, you know, few that work in that industry will find other more, you know, ethical uh, employment, we hope, for their sake. And ultimately, it will be a domino effect across the country if Florida falls 
pretty clear that the rest of the industry will fall. And as she said, this is a historic moment, and Florida is the tip of the spear in ending this abusive practice. And we're really excited to be part of that effort. And the last point I want to make is that I, I want to, in addition to thanking Kate and her organization, the Committee to Protect Dogs, which includes the Great Duquesne, the Humane Society of the United States, my clients, the Florida Bar Animal Law Section, Animal Legal Defense Fund, also my law firm, Baker Donaldson, and Lauren um, who, who DeWile in my office, who did most of the work in the circuit court and in the Supreme Court in drafting the amicus briefs. And through that great effort, along with the Solicitor General and Secretary of State and the Attorney General, I think, deserves a shout out too, Pam Bondi, because she was very much in support of and remains in support of Amendment 13. Uh, we're very, very excited about this historic moment. Well, As am I, and so very, very glad to have you both on the show. So let's talk about, um, Kate, just real quickly, um, In the, we have about 10 minutes or so left in the show. Um, let's talk about a couple of issues that may be coming up in 2019, just so we can get folks um, on the cutting edge of this. And um, let's start with the uh, puppy mill preemption bill. Sure. Well, th- we've seen that for several years now, and uh, preemption effort is 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 alive and well, unfortunately. And um, we are working hard to to fight it because. Well, let me back up. Puppy mills. Florida doesn't have isn't home to a lot of the actual puppy mills. Some, but not the majority. So we are leading the charge, which is not a good thing in terms of consumers buying pups that originated and were born in puppy mills. And that's terrible. So we have over 60 local ordinances in Florida cities and a few counties that prohibit the retail sale of pets. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, we, we applaud those advocates that have, have gotten, um, gotten these passed. But in city, you know, X, city X will say this, you know, no retail sales. It doesn't mean a responsible breeder can't sell uh, the puppies that they breed, but that's not that's not the issue. It's the set, the the pet land, the stores, the dream puppies. You know, the 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 storefronts that we know come from those pups come from puppy mills, which is just supporting a horrid industry of suffering and cruelty. No question. Every I think everyone knows that now in this day and age, puppy mills are synonymous with suffering and cruelty for dogs. And Florida Floridians sometimes buy them without realizing that it's a puppy mill pup. They're being duped into thinking this came from a a local breeder or whatever. And first of all, we hope people adopt. Adopting from a shelter is the best, and that is the best option, or from a rescue group or humane society. But um, others who decide to to buy, again, are often duped. And so we are the state that purchases a lot of these dogs, so it's a big issue. That's why these retail sales bans are uh, incredibly successful. But if a preemption bill on the state level were to pass, it would remove all of those ordinances and prevent further ordinances from going into place. And these preemption bills are not just about puppy mill dogs, they're about a whole host of other issues. It's a it's a very short-sighted um, effort to uh, wipe out a lot of these meaningful local ordinances that are, are doing, that are different. And the argument is just that, that the, the counties are different or the city but there are um, local governments that are um, have been charged with doing this and are are passing ordinances that are important to their community that their citizens have brought forth, and that's 
um, our hats off to them. And the puppies, this would be a bad, a very bad, bad, harmful measure. And I'll tell you, we're working really, really hard on this, the Humane Society, along with many other groups, um, to prevent a preemption bill from passing. And we um, have been successful and, and will continue to be because Floridians don't want this. And once you bring up the puppy issue, this may be about a whole host of other issues in addition to the puppies that it gets the attention of, 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 of the public and certainly of lawmakers. So it's, it will come again this year and we're active. We're on it. We will be uh, working very, very feverishly on that. So um, just to be clear, um, so that folks that maybe don't speak legalese um, understand is that although we have all these wonderful ordinances um, at the city and county level, that there is a bill that is pending um, in Tallahassee that would preempt, which means it's going to do away with all of those local ordinances. And the tricky part about this was that it was hidden in a tax bill um, having to do with tangible personal property. And one of the things that we need to still be mindful of is that dogs and cats are still considered to be personal okay. property. And so That's although right. it was hidden hidden in this tax bill, somebody was smart enough to catch that and realize that if the tax bill had passed with this kind of add-on provision, that um, it would have mm -hmm. undone all of the really hard work of um, these cities and counties in um, removing the retail sale of um, pets from their stores. Right. And they were very sleazy because it went in a few other bills as well. They tried to stick it in a number of places, but the tax one was the most uh, significant. You're absolutely right. And that just says something about the industry, I have to say. Um, but the good guys prevailed and, and that didn't pass, but we'll continue fighting. And that's why uh, the HSUS and, and many other groups, we work closely with advocates to get active and meet your lawmakers on the city and county level, as well as your state lawmakers, start a relationship and, and, and have that relationship and talk to them about some of these really important um, animal welfare issues that they may not be aware of. And, and likely they aren't because um, I think animal lovers, we tend to have the um, idea that everybody loves animals as much as we do. And, um, and yet we don't realize that there is a whole host of um, forces at work out there that are trying to undo good work and that really don't have the best interests of animals at heart. Yeah, agreed. <clears throat> so some of the other things that we want to talk about, and Ralph, I want you to address this one, is uh, the domestic violence um, bill. Yeah, thank you. Um, several years ago, maybe Kate remembers the legislative year uh, better than I do, but then Senator Mike Fasano proposed an amendment to the criminal code that would have included within the definition of domestic violence, violence perpetuated to a family pet. And sadly, it's a very, very common occurrence, primarily men threatening or actually harming the uh, you know spouses or the child's beloved dog or cat or other pet or threatening to do so in order to get them to behave in the way that he or she wants them to behave. Unfortunately, the amendment, which had a lot of support, uh, uh, fell victim to the typical Tallahassee politics that really had nothing to do with the merits of the amendment, much like the Greyhound bill we've been talking about. So. Uh, we're, we're seeing a, an effort to bring that back, and if it passes, it will go a long way towards reducing violence to domestic pets. 
Um, and that is so, so, so important because another thing that I think maybe um, folks aren't really aware of is the correlation between um, violence on pets and violence in general. Absolutely well understood, and this will help go a long way towards that. <clears throat> the, may I talk briefly about the bear issue? Absolutely. I was on the original legal team that opposed the first Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission sanctioned bear hunt, uh, I believe, in 2016. And I think it's fair to say it was a travesty. Uh, 295 bears were killed over the two days. They actually had to stop the hunt early because it was such a debacle. Uh, reporting was was not uh, accurate or fair. In that number is not included the uh, pregnant bears, the gestating female bears that were taken, the 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 ones that weren't taken humanely, so to speak. If there's a humane way to kill a bear, um, and this notwithstanding the fact that there was plenty of good science to suggest that uh, the delisting of the Florida black bear by the FWC. Uh, was inappropriate and that there actually are threatened in Florida. Over 100 bears are killed on Florida roadways every year and uh, the number is increasing. What's particularly sad about this whole issue is that in every community that has adopted bear-friendly measures such as putting out bear-proof trash cans have seen a reduction in bear sightings in communities, which the hysteria over that is what's driving a lot of this. So right now it's on hold, but we're told it's going to come back in the next couple years, a proposal to hunt again. Uh, and uh, we are looking into, as are others, I say we, the Florida Bar Animal Law Section and others, um, to uh, try to pass some legislation to, to uh, prevent further bear hunting in Florida. There is absolutely no justification uh, in my opinion, as a lifelong vegetarian for trophy hunting, you can't reasonably argue that you can eat bear meat, for example. I don't know anybody except Davy Crockett, maybe, that does that. And, uh, you know, uh, not that there's a justification for hunting any other animal like a deer or something like that, but, but at least they can be, you know, hunted for consumption. This is purely a a trophy thing, you know, to put that bear skin on your floor in front of your fireplace or a stuffed bear in your house. And I just think it's a, a horrible and unnecessary practice. And so we're going to try to stop that. Yes. Um, um, and yeah, go ahead, Kate. I just agree with, with what Ralph said. And we are obviously adamantly uh, opposed to to trophy hunting. And uh, we're very active and on, uh, on the bear hunt that happened in 2015 when so many bears were tragically killed. And we know it will be coming at some point in the coming, um, you know, in, in our in Florida's future. We will be uh, also working uh, to oppose any kind of a, a black bear hunt for sure. All right. And in the few minutes we have left, let's talk a little bit about um, another bill that may come up, which would increase the penalties for um, the negligent death or injury of a uh, a pet. So, Ralph, you want to take that one first? Well, yeah, and Kate's been working on this for some time now. Now, we were successful, I think, in the last legislative session to somewhat increase those penalties. Was that Ponce's law, Kate? Right, yes. Uh, mm -hmm. And, 
you know, the, like, notwithstanding what I said earlier, that Florida, relatively speaking, is a humane state, we still have a long way to go to make sure, pardon the pun, that we put some real bite into our criminal penalties and sanctions and the scoring that goes on when the judges have to sentence people as well. And we don't, we're not quite there yet, so there's going to be another effort this coming legislative session. I think you're going to see this happen pretty much every year now to try to strengthen the criminal penalties for various forms of animal abuse. <clears throat> if I can use one recent example in the few minutes that are remaining, down in Marion County, a well-publicized incident where a middle school teacher mm -hmm. round a raccoon and a possum uh, in front of his middle school students, and basically the state attorney chose not to prosecute him, and I don't know any lawyer that understands the law that thinks that was a rational or reasonable decision. And so it's just an example that even the state attorneys are not there yet in terms of where they need to be to understand the significance of animal cruelty, and as you said earlier, Peggy, the connection between violence on an animal and violence on people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and and until we really understand all of those issues, um, I, I think the law is changing. I think the world's changing. I think we're becoming more aware of animals as sentient beings and not just um, tangible personal property. Certainly, they are members of our family. Um, I know both of you love animals as much as I do. I mean, they sleep in our beds, for goodness sake. Um <laughs> and uh, chew our comforters and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. eat our food and cuddle with us. And, you know, they're in, in many ways, and, and hence the name of this radio show, All My Children Wear Fur Coats, is that many of us consider them to be our children. Um, so thank you to both of you for all of your efforts. Uh, uh, Ralph is uh, not only with Baker Donaldson, he is one of the founding members of the animal law section of the Florida Bar and is the past president and is a chair emeritus currently, and uh, he works tirelessly um, for mm -hmm. animals in the state of Florida, as does Kate McFall with the Humane Society of the United States. And um, without both of you working as hard as you do, and thankfully you're both in Tallahassee and you can talk to each other regularly, um, we wouldn't be as far along as we are today. So thank you to both of you. Uh, thank you thank to you. our listeners who um, support all of the good efforts of animals around the state of Florida. And um, thank you for everything that we all can do to um, to make um, the lives of animals better. Um, everyone knows my motto. It is, until there are none, please adopt one, um, which means yes. no puppy mills and no yes. buying of dogs at retail stores anyway, whether or not it's illegal. And um, really just yes. hang in there, everybody. Do the best job you can and vote yes on Amendment 13 in November. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. We're here on Mondays at 3 p.m. You're listening to All My Children Wear Fur Coats on Pet Will Radio. Have a great week. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Pet Will Radio. Visit PetWillRadio.com for updates on shows, links to previous shows, inspirational stories, videos, and more.
Until next time, take care. Welcome to Pet Will Radio. A unique